cats had sex on our lawn last Thursday night. Together, it was like a feline orgy. My John was most perturbed by this. He wanted to throw a bucket of cold water out the window. But I said, leave it, John. They're just enjoying themselves. I said, it's nice to know that someone round here is. I noticed that comment fell on deaf ears. Kel surprise. Intimacy is a funny onion to be mulling over at the moment, though, isn't it? During a pandemic, when we're all supposed to be keeping our distance from one another and squirting everything in sight with Dettol. To be honest, the subject probably wouldn't have even crossed my mind if my therapist hadn't brought it up during our last Zoom session. Helen said that this rage I've been experiencing could very well be symptomatic of sexual frustration. She asked me to describe my anger by putting it into a visual image. So I took a moment, and then I said that I envisaged myself as being in an army tank, screaming, hurling profanities and rapid firing at everything in sight. Basically, I saw myself as a sort of Lady Rambo figure, on the rampage, guns blazing, one very angry bitch. Helen went awfully quiet at this point, and then she said, I'm a little concerned, Pam. That sounds rather psychotic. Then she made a note. Quite a long note. Probably adding me to her loony list. Ones to watch. Helen then asked when exactly it was that John and I had last taken part in any downstairs activities. Well, I had to think. Really think. And then it dawned on me that it must have been before the pandemic. Long, long before the pandemic. So Helen recommended that I take action and suggested that perhaps I might surprise John with an evening of impromptu lovemaking sometime. She said that we could possibly even do something a little out of the ordinary, like role play or strip chess, that sort of thing. Something to goose it up a bit. Now, it's not that I didn't appreciate the suggestion, but I just couldn't see it somehow. John and I have never really been very adventurous in the bedroom. And besides, we're very limited with having Mum in the spare room. The thought of her only being a stone's throw away doesn't exactly set my knickers twitching, if you catch my meaning. I told Helen this, and she saw my point entirely. And then she came up with another suggestion, which I thought was rather a good one. She said she remembered how John and I had tidied up the shed at the bottom of the garden last summer, and how it was practically lying empty. So how about we use it as a sort of outdoor love nest? She said we could make it nice and cosy with candles, soft furnishings, that sort of thing. Or, if we prefer, we could keep it shabby to give it that sort of debauched sex den vibe. You know, like the type of seedy hovel a disgraced MP might be caught in ferreting about with a prostitute. I plumped for the first option. I thought that might be a bit more us. And an ingenious idea on Helen's part, I thought. Well done, I said. And then I suddenly became terribly excited about the whole thing. I thought it would make the most wonderful project. So I spent the rest of the day sprucing up the shed, I dug out the futon from the loft, I hung fairy lights around the place, and I found a rather dainty little scented candle I've had for a while, which I thought would make a very welcome addition. 
Apparently, it has aphrodisiac qualities. It isn't exactly the most appealing of aromas. In fact, it smells a bit like a farm. But it contains pig pheromones, and we all know what randy little mites they can be. I was willing to give it a go, anyway. In for a penny and all that. So everything was in place, and the shed was looking terrific. I couldn't wait to show John. He arrived home at 6.30, his usual time. And there was I, looking radiant in that little black number I haven't worn since the Jubilee dinner and dance. It still fits me miraculously, though it whiffed a little of mothballs, but thankfully a blast of Febreze took care of any lingering nastiness. Of course, eagle-eyed mum was on the ball as usual. She asked why I was going to so much effort. I played it down. Effort? I said, what effort? I don't think I fooled her. She could sense my exhilaration. I'd had a spring in my step all afternoon. She even caught me singing at one point to Kylie. Ha! <laughs> Imagine. John was rather taken aback when he walked through the door and saw me in my finery. What's all this in aid of? He asked. Must there be a reason? I retorted in a sort of semi-come-hither tone. John had a real glint in his eye at this point. He gave me one of those, I know you're up to something looks. He was right, of course. I bloody was. We got through dinner rather quickly. For mains, I served quiche of the Lorraine variety and a ready-made salad to save on the washing up. As we were eating, John paid me the most wonderful compliment. He said, Darling, you look enchanting this evening. I blushed quite noticeably. Mum had figured out what was going on by now, and she suddenly put her fork down and barked, Oh my God, I feel like a spare wheel. Will you two get a room? I said, Mum, eat your quiche. Then I turned my attention back to John. We began making eyes at each other over the table. It felt marvellous. For the first time in ages, I felt genuinely wanted. And by John, of all people. Talk about a turn up for the books. I can't say Mum exactly added to the ambiance, though. She spent most of dinner whining on about how the quiche had a soggy bottom. I had to remind her that it was shop-bought quiche, and if she felt that it had a soggy bottom, then she should put that in a sternly worded letter and send it to the people at Sainsbury's. That seemed to fix her flapping. After dinner, as John and I were clearing the table, John gave me that look again. He was curious to know what I was up to. I could tell. So I whispered in his ear that I had a surprise for him at the bottom of the garden. I said it lasciviously and with oomph. He picked up on it, the oomph. Obviously, we needed to wait until Mum was settled before we could move things out to the shed. And it didn't help matters that she was still at the table dilly-dallying with her cobbler. John and I had scoffed our dessert long ago, but Mum was still picking at hers and taking these pathetic little mouse-sized bites. I think she was doing it on purpose. John and I continued to flirt regardless. As John was stacking the dishwasher, I even threw him a wink. I'm not usually a fan of winking, but I felt the occasion called for one. I threw him a few as it happens, winking away I was.
he liked it. I could tell. Then John cast an eye over toward Mum, and he asked, What about you-know-who? I told him not to worry about her, as she wouldn't be a problem for much longer. John was aware that Mum usually had a doze after dinner anyway, and I quietly pointed out that I'd also taken the liberty of adding a splash of benelin to her custard to sort of help her along. And just then, as if on cue, Mum suddenly gave the most astonished look, and then she slumped forward and sort of plunged face down into her cobbler. Out like a light. John was quite horrified by what I'd done, but I assured him that she'd be fine, and I moseyed over to the table, pulled Mum's face out of her cobbler, and I popped a blanket over her to keep her warm. Well, I say blanket, it was more of a tea towel, but the intention was the same. And then I grabbed John by the hand and I whisked him outside and down to our little love nest at the bottom of the garden. He was terribly impressed when he saw what I'd done to the place. Not that I gave him long to take it all in, of course. I very quickly lit the erotic candle, then immediately pounced on him. I just couldn't wait. And John was giving as good as he got. Oh, he was bursting with vim. He said that he felt as naughty as a van of criminals. I agreed with him. Me too, I said. Then we made our way over to the futon so that we could get down to brass tacks. And before we knew it, it was action. Oh, stations. <sighs> we hadn't been going for long when I caught a whiff of this rather unpleasant odour. It was quite sort of, well, toilety. Being absolutely ravenous, I initially chose to ignore it and I carried on. I'd never known John display such animal-like cravings and I didn't want to spoil his flow. Go, John, I kept saying. Go, John. He appreciated that. In fact, he thanked me for the encouragement. But then, well, that nasty niff grew considerably and in no time at all it had completely filled the shed. I could feel myself beginning to gag, so I just had to stop. And I asked John if he could smell it too, and he said that he could smell it, and that he hadn't said anything, as he suspected that in the throes of passion I may have accidentally broken wind. He said that he didn't want to spoil the moment by bringing it up. Well, imagine my horror. Offended is not the word. I said, John, darling, do you honestly think that my bottom is capable of emitting a stench of this magnitude? I said, it smells like something an animal would do. And that's when it struck me that the smell was actually coming from the aphrodisiac candle. The label said it contained pig essence, and well, it clearly did. So I very hastily stumped out the candle. Then I pulled open the shed door and I threw the ruddy thing as far as I could. I was still remarkably randy at this point, and so with the offending stench now taken care of, I immediately lunged at John and it was on with the show. So there we were, having a jolly good time on the futon, with John finding his pace again and me spurring him on with more words of encouragement. And just then, as we were in the midst of all this rather lovely animal-like frolicking, I suddenly felt something brush against my right ankle. And I knew it couldn't be John, as his arms and legs, well, they were all otherwise engaged. So I was very confused as to what it could actually be. I decided to ignore it, hoping it was just my imagination, and I carried on. But unfortunately, it turned out not to be my imagination. In fact, it turned out to be something rather unpleasant. And not two minutes later, 
John quite unexpectedly stopped what he was doing and he screamed out, Christ, there's a bloody rat! I immediately froze, horrified. Then John grabbed a torch and he shone it into the corner of the shed and sure enough, there it was, the offending little blighter. I say little, it was actually a very large, rather angry-looking rodent. And John was now frantic, screaming and crying, which was a side of him I'd never seen before, a rather unsettling side I might add. So I told him to calm down and I assured him it was only a rat and that I would take care of it. Then he asked how exactly I was planning on taking care of it. And so I said, watch me. And I don't know if it was the adrenaline or the endorphins or the pig pheromones or possibly a combination of all three, but I suddenly went full-on Lady Rambo on that rat with my bare hands. And by the time I'd finished, I was pretty sure that it wouldn't be bothering us from then on. John was visibly rather shaken by what I'd done. I could tell, but I felt fine. In fact, I felt surprisingly invigorated. And I was still raging with all this pent-up mischief, so I went back to John to pick up where we'd left off. Only he didn't want to. In fact, he seemed rather traumatised by my handling of the rat situation, and he said that the moment had now passed. I asked why exactly this was, and he screamed, You just garroted a rat! Bit of a romance killer! So I tried to point out calmly that I'd done this in defence and to enable us to resume our romantic moment. And he seemed rather horrified that I would even suggest that we carry on now, and he accused me of turning into some sort of deranged, rat-killing sex fanatic. So I tried to calm him down, and I told him that he was talking absolute silly soup, which he was. And as I'm saying this to him, I suddenly noticed that our rodent friend was now sort of twitching and spasming away in the corner of the shed, clearly halfway between this world and the next. And John saw this, and he implored me to finish off what I'd started. And so I said, Darling, that's precisely what I've been trying to do. And I tried to usher him back to the futon to pick up where we'd left off. Only John said that I was mistaken, and that he wasn't talking about resuming the lovemaking. He was urging me to finish the rat off. And so I said, Fine, if you insist. So I grabbed one of my shoes and I marched over to the rat. Only before I could get to it, the ruddy thing suddenly sprung to life, making the most astonishing recovery. Then it frantically darted about the shed for a few seconds, causing poor John to almost have a coronary, and then it made a beeline for the door. And it was so enormous, it managed to push the flipping thing open before scuttling off into the night. And quite honestly, John and I were speechless. After a minute or so, I turned to John and I said, I see that the rat repellent you bought was money well spent then. And John said that it was hardly his fault and that he didn't appreciate me blaming him for what had happened. So I said that I wasn't blaming him exactly, but clearly he bought defective rat killer, as that huge mutant we just encountered looked pretty okay from what I could see. In fact, it was flourishing. If anything, the rat repellent was feeding it. And we continued to bicker for a while. And it was fairly obvious at this point that our window for romance had now closed. So I suggested that we call it a night and I asked John to help me find my bra. As we were scrambling about, looking for the blasted thing, we suddenly heard this almighty commotion coming from outside. It was a sort of cacophony of violent whining and squawking. It was horrible, a real din. So I looked out of the window 
Oh, and at last, there they all were. The orgy cats back for another go on our lawn. We didn't want to go outside and disturb them at this point, and so we just sat there and waited for them to finish, which they eventually did. But as I was sitting there with John, both of us now extremely cheesed off in that cold, damp shed, feeling quite discouraged after yet another failed intercourse attempt, and as I listened to those deviant, abominably perverse cats jigging away on our lawn, I just couldn't help but think, what lucky bastards. Life's a Gas was written by Ben Ellis and performed by Sarah Starling. Like, share, subscribe and leave us a review. Why not? Thanks for listening. <laughs>